Well, there is a lot to discuss around the city from the future of Young Dundas Square, healthcare funding, and the future of the Toronto Islands. I'm now joined by Joe Mahevic, former city councillor, to bounce through and talk through some of the top headlines of the week. Hey, Joe, thanks for joining me again. Hey, great to be on your show, always. So, Joe, there was uh, an interesting piece in the Toronto Star uh, calling for Young Dundas Square to be ripped out. You know, I remember I was attending Ryerson University, uh, now Toronto Metropolitan, when, you know, the square was uh, a thought. I remember what the corner of Young and Dundas looked like. It was not pretty. And, uh, you know, I remember the the talk of it being a tourist attraction um, and it, has it really become that tourist attraction? Well, uh, Maggie, the the fact that you remember before Dundas Square was there dates you a little bit. I know, um, I know, I'm so old. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was on city council when we made the decisions to do the kind of density trades for the yep. of those properties, and it was led by uh, Councillor Kyle Ray. And um, it is an urban center. It is not Hyde Park. It is not green space. It is not a place to go quiet. It's a place that's act- active, and it's, a, it, it's in the middle of, call it the concrete jungle. I, I read the article, and I found that, frankly, I, I disagreed. It is, it is a gritty place. Yes, you will see uh, folks uh, in one corner um, perhaps doing inappropriate things, but then on another day, you'll see um, you'll see a, a fashion show. Another day, you'll see uh, Caribbean carnival uh, music uh, playing and performing. Another day, you'll see a private sector company plugging their wares. Um, that's what an urban center is is meant to be. It's a little bit gritty, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's it's the downtown in all its uh, craziness and wonder. Uh, has it achieved it? I kind of think it has. I, I frankly have not had many complaints or see or heard many people complain about it. So I, I would call that really a, a one-off article. Of course, everyone's free to express their opinion, but I don't think that that's uh, how the predominant number of uh, Toronto Torontonians uh, feel. I actually agree with you, Joe. I think you know it is a space for even even yesterday. For the Ukraine Solidarity March, it started off at Dundas Square, right? And so I think it is a place for the collective to meet at certain times. Um, I think even if you were to make it a green oasis, which is what the writer of this article has suggested, that's not going to deter those who hang out uh, on that corner to leave. Actually, I think it might cause more people to hang out in that green oasis, like we've seen with many of our parks. Yes, and because of this, it, in, real, in real terms, it's not a big space. Yeah. There's not going to be any grass ever there. So I think we, it was wise of uh, the contractors, the architect, landscape architect, to say, no, just keep it concrete. And program it in a very interesting way. It, it is run by a management company, the Dundas Square. Uh, it, it's run by the city, and the city farms that out to uh, to a not-for-profit uh, group and puts people on the board of directors. So it, there is an executive director there, and their job is just to basically program it in a good kind of way. And all power to them. I, I think they're I think they're they're doing a pretty good job. 
All right, let's move on to uh, discussion about the by-election. So it has been announced, the city clerk has announced that if everything goes as planned, again, city council meets on the 29th, uh, they declare John Tory's seat vacant, that the by-election would be held on Monday, June the 26th. I think a, a number of people are asking the question, Joe, why couldn't city council meet earlier? Why can't we get this by-election, you know, weeks, maybe a couple months earlier at least. Um, and also the concern about voter turnout. In last election, we saw you know the lowest uh, voter turnout that we've seen in years. Are, are we setting ourselves up for the same situation? Yeah, very, very good question. The timing, I think, I'm pretty sure is driven by the clerk. This will be the biggest by-election, frankly, ever in Canada. <clears throat> there have been by-elections at provincial and federal levels, but they've been for uh, particular ridings. This is like 25 ridings across the whole city of Toronto for one seat alone. Yeah. So the clerk needs needs time to basically set it and uh, do the work. It is over $10 billion, uh, $10, $15 million is going to be the uh, final price tag for it. You have to hire something like a few thousand, several thousand people to staff the tables and that. You have to find where the polling stations are going to be. You have to mail out mail-in ballots. Mm -hmm. If you're not going to be around, you'll get a mail-in ballot. That will be an opportunity if you're out of the country or on holidays, which some people will be at that time. Um, So there's a lot of work on the technical side of it. But I would say on the political side as well, I think there's good reasons to wait until uh, June 26th. Um, I I know all the candidates, but a lot of folks might know of one or read an article or seen them on the media for another for another piece. For us to really and, and in my asking of people, I say, well, who do you know and who do you what are you thinking? And folks are just putting shrugging their shoulders and say, I I don't know these folks. Um, you probably know the Maggie from uh, from media, but there is a real need for an education and for the candidates to get out there. And this amount of time gives them a chance to do that. Um, It is um, the last election, municipal election, because it was practically for sure that John Tory was going to win it. Mm. There was a low voter turnout. There was nothing that really drew people to the to the polls. My bet, I'll put money on this one, that the turnout will be higher for this one election than it was for the last municipal election, which had councillors, trustees, and the mayor uh, himself or herself on the on the ballot. Uh, and it's because um, this is a time for Toronto to ask all the good questions that, frankly, we didn't have a chance to ask uh, during the uh, last election because of the sureness of uh, John Tory's victory. What what do we do around policing? What do we do around public transit? What should our waterfront uh, look like for the next uh, generation? How much development should we support or not support? <coughs> These are h- how do we raise the money, the taxes for the services that people want? People are complaining about the condition of the roads. They're complaining about uh, the garbage on the street and things just don't seem to be fixed on time. Well, all of that costs money. And so we have a choice. Do we want to pay a little more? Well, I don't know what that number is, but it's going to be more in taxes or get money from the provincial government to shake them down uh, for uh, contributions to these things. Uh, let's have those conversations and let's have them strong. Let's ha- let's make them strong conversations. Uh, the, I think that's the opportunity before us. And if we spend between now and June 26th just focusing 
one issue at a time, one issue a week yeah. uh, of the big things affecting the city, I think that's time well spent. But do you think that, I mean, voter apathy is a real thing, and you've addressed it really well, Joe, but, you know, people have so many concerns, and they could feel defeated. They could feel like, you know, we were just here a moment ago, um, you know, even even with the uh, turnout being low. Uh, how do you get people excited, Joe, about the future, about who could be the leader of our city and move it in the right direction? Well, that's going to be a task for first and foremost for the candidates. Yeah. The candidates have to put out why they think they're the best person for, for, that, uh, for that job. Uh, they have to present a vision. If there's a good vision presented of a Toronto, and this is, this is my mayoralty pitch, of a, of a Toronto that is sustainable, environmentally sustainable, that is arts and culture friendly, that has strong public transit, that uh, has a strong welcoming approach to uh, new immigrants th- that are coming to uh, to our country and to our city. I think that will sell. I, I do think that people people are in a vision moment. They want someone to pull them out of the doldrums. Yeah, some of it's caused by COVID. Some of it was is caused by just the just winter and mm-hmm. so on. Yeah. Um, I think the vision. We, this is going to be the vision election. The person who puts out the best vision for where to take the city, I think, is going to draw attention. I think people will, will have a chance to, to be excited. We're looking for something to, to get excited about, and maybe this election will be, will be the one. If it isn't, then you know what? Then it's going to be another whole hum mayor for another whole hum for three, four years. Um, I don't think that's going to happen, though. I think there's going to be some excitement generated. I, I'm, looking forward, I'm looking forward to the dance the next uh, few months. Well, I have to say, Joe, we're going to take a quick break, but what you just articulated and outlined, I mean, I, I think you should run for mayor. It's just a suggestion. Just a well, suggestion. I'll tell you what, you get it by my family and then I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I did 28 years. And, uh, I get a get out of jail free card for, for a little time. Joe, another headline from this past week, uh, the uh, healthcare deal has finally passed and uh, that will see again more money coming into the uh, province when it comes to all of the crisis around uh, healthcare needs. Um, do you think this is a band-aid solution when we have this gaping hole in our healthcare system? Well, it's a big band-aid and we're, I think, Torontonians, Canadians uh, are should be very thankful that they at least made this first step. They, ten provinces, sometimes squabbling with the federal government and the federal government, got together and they made a deal. And it it is a lot of money. Does it uh, close the gap? Absolutely no. It does not uh, close the gap. We we need uh, we need more uh, from the federal government and we need more from the provincial government because we know that. Well, I'm thinking. Thinking myself, I live with a with a, a ninety nine uh, well, with a hundred year old uh, father, mm. and I'm afraid to go to the emergency uh, emergency if if something happens in my family, and that's because I'm afraid of waiting a long time and not getting the service that we need, or if someone needs care and they wait, they have to wait and wait and wait to get that uh, that operation. Of course, that's a, that's a concern for 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 uh, Canadians and Ontarians. Thankfully, on the good news side, 
you hear these stories from the United States, maybe we have friends or relatives there where they have to save, save, save to get just a basic operation that's not funded or they're fighting with an insurance company. Of course, we're in a totally different league from what is happening there. That isn't to say, though, that we should rest on our laurels, that we have um, socialized uh, medicine here. There are many threats to the system. One of them is funding. One of them is privatization or creeping privatization. But is this deal a good deal? Yes, it is a good deal. Uh, Thankfully, the province and the federal government found a way to get to yes, and that should please us all. Is it a good deal, Joe, or is it just the deal we were given and we had no choice, so we had to take it? It's like you don't leave any money left on the table. You take what they offer you, but is it a real? Is it a good deal? Well, I guess the province could have said no or made it contingent on other kinds of things that the federal government uh, lay off of, of Highway 413 or the Greenbelt stuff like that. These are the kinds of things that happen at these negotiating tables or between the premier's office and the in the prime minister's office and sometimes the mayor's office, depending on the issue. Uh, so whenever they get together on anything, uh, th- that's what federalism is, is that the prov- for, for a number of issues, you, you require them to get in the room and say yes, even if it's yes to the obvious, uh, yes to the money that was already going to be promised. That, that, that's a good day. And that's no, no mean feat. It's hard to get people, especially with different uh, political ways of thinking, to, uh, to say yes. So they did it here. And let's, let's, uh, let's praise them for a moment and then say, and we want more. Yeah. <laughs> we'll take the victory today, but tomorrow we want, uh, we, we want Torontonians, Canadians, Ontarians to be as healthy as possible. And we're willing to pay for it. We, we want to find a way to, to take care of our seniors and to make sure that anyone who needs any kind of health care, that that's something on all of us together rather than each of us individually. All right. Another story that is not going away anytime soon, uh, you know, and, and it's around per- personal and professional lives of our politicians. The premier has said uh, regarding my family matters, my family is separate from the political process. They aren't involved um, this is around the conversation uh, pertaining to Doug Ford having a number of developers. And now we know a, a lobbyist was at uh, wedding festivities that were held for his daughter. Uh, we know now that the NDP leader, Merritt Stiles, has filed a complaint uh, with the integrity commissioner asking for a formal investigation into what many feel is a conflict of interest here. Um, is there, a, should there be a separation between personal and private? And, and does this cross the lines? Because I, I think there is. I think all of us as Canadians specifically would say, yes, there are clearly personal and private lives uh, of our elected uh, uh, officials. But when when we are sitting in a situation where developers, especially in conversation around Greenbelt being expanded or access to the Greenbelt is being expanded, knowing again that uh, there were some high-level developers at these festivities with our premier, that, that's definitely a, a, a situation that we should be concerned about. Uh, no, absolutely, Maggie. This one really doesn't pass the smell test. Of course, there is a a separation between family and the political. Um, But if, you know, if my 
daughters, my son's married, if my daughters got married and there were all these called political connections that I have at the wedding, my daughter wouldn't allow it. Mm. <laughs> it's their wedding. It's their, it's their, festive, it's their, uh, their, their event. Uh, and, you know, I, I do know, I do know one of the lobbies is actually a close friend of uh, the Ford family. Okay. That's one, mm. but so many, and then so intimately tied in timing to what's happening on the green belt. It just doesn't smell right. And I, I, I think uh, Marge Stiles' uh, request to have this investigated in a deeper kind of way. Landy's planning is so fraud, and the possibility that uh, that fraud happens when it's public land or public public laws are passed to allow particular kinds of development that you have to be cleaner than clean. And so, uh, I, I you know I've been at events uh, during the. Doug Ford City Council Day. I've never met these developers as his close personal friends. Mm-hmm. It it just it stinks to high heaven. They're being called on it, and they they need to account to Ontario's public for for what is happening there. What I find interesting too, Joe, is that in uh, you know statements that the premier has made, he kind of throws away the hundred and fifty dollar entrance fee for the stag and doe, saying, "Oh, it was just a hundred and fifty dollars." I don't care if it was one cent. Like, I mean, the fact that money is exchanging with a family member who is intimately close to our premier is a cause for concern, be it one penny, one dollar, or one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah, so so many at the city council level, at the and I'm sure it's the case at the provincial and federal level, when you are in elected office, things change. And if you have friends in those circles, you have to distance yourself from them when it even comes close to smelling that there may be a conflict of interest. And that's what uh, that minimum, that's the minimum requirement. And of course there can't be a conflict of interest. So here, I think they, they, they are just a little bit too cozy, way too cozy (laughs) in Mm -hmm. fact. And that coziness obviously provided some people with real benefits. Um, you know, it's also true that we have we, we don't have just a few developers in Toronto. We have dozens of developers in Toronto. But the ones that got invited to the stag in Godot were the ones who benefited from the green belt. Hmm, that should raise some eyebrows as to why them and not some other developers that are working, say, more in a downtown environment that equally could they can afford the hundred and fifty bucks. They weren't the ones who were invited. It was the ones who had a direct benefit that came to them from the Greenbelt change of change of land use. Um, that that stinks. That stinks to high heaven. Absolutely. Well, we will be following that story. Thanks so much, Joe, once again for being on the show.